we have to understand why people are not using bus service or public transit. And if we can address that and we can make it more convenient and more people want to use it, then I think we can put policies around public transit. But without that, it's difficult to force people to do things when you, know, you don't give them a better alternative. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast of The Decision Lab, a socially conscious applied research firm that uses behavioral science to improve outcomes for all of society. My name is Brooke Struck, Research Director at TDL, and I'll be your host for the discussion. My guest today is Remy Deza, CEO of Pantonium. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about getting around public transit systems, new technology, and hybrid approaches to transit. Remy, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brooke. Before we launch, so to speak, please tell us a bit about yourself and what you're up to these days, and maybe a bit about Pantonium as well. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me and uh, giving me the opportunity to be on the show. So my background, uh, I'm an engineer, but been more in the business uh, space for some time. Focus more on logistics and operations prior to working with Pantonium was part of a company where we were doing route optimization for first and last mile delivery for companies like Frito-Lay, Home Depot. And sort of the learnings that we got through that business really wanted to take it and apply it into moving people. Moving people is a very interesting space, quite different than goods because uh, someone can't be in the car for in a vehicle for a very long time, even if it is a very efficient way of doing things. So that was sort of the impetus to start Pantonium. And uh, Pantonium, really, our goal is to improve public transit. We believe public transit is the core of mobility for cities and to make them more successful, public transit has to become more relevant in the way people get around. And that's really what we do is we're trying to help cities improve that through their bus transportation and making that run in an on-demand model where we're going, where people want to go and helping the buses run more efficiently based on that. That's great. Let's dive into the meat of that, trying to improve the efficiency of the system and also the quality of the user experience. So let's start with where most cities are around the world, runs buses on set routes and set schedules. What kinds of inefficiencies does this create? Yeah, so fixed routes is a really good and very efficient way of moving people, especially when you're in very dense areas. I think if you look at the spectrum, you have two sides. So you have fixed routes, which can be very efficient, but sometimes not as user-friendly for the riders. It's a bit inconvenient to use fixed route service because you have to go and follow where the vehicles are going and the schedules. On the extreme other side, you have taxi service. And taxi service is very convenient, but it's also quite costly. And so when you look at the flip side, fixed routes, route is very efficient, it's cheap, taxi service is quite costly. The challenge is fixed route service works very well when you have dense areas where you have predictability. But when you're getting to areas where it's less dense and there's less predictability, fixed routes sometimes becomes quite challenging because without knowing where people want to go, we're just guessing where we should send the bus. And that bus is going there regardless if someone's at that stop or not. And that's really, we see an opportunity of sort of on-demand really helping working in conjunction with fixed routes to address this sort of gap that there is in cities where you have these times where demand can be irregular or also areas where density is not as dense, which is common in most cities across the world. Let's unpack uh, a little bit of how it is that we came to have the systems that we have. Let's talk about this from two perspectives. The first is the transit authority's perspective. How is it that they decided on the routes and the schedules in the first place based on the technology that they had available to them at the time? And also, what did that feel like as a user of that system? 
Bus transit hasn't changed much in the last uh, 50 years. The way it's generally designed is cities, they get a budget. So you have a budget and you have a certain number of assets. And now you have to plan where you locate these assets across the city. Traditionally, the way that's done is the transit authorities would work with consulting companies and run surveys of where they think people need to go. Those surveys generally work very well in getting people to the core of the city. So if you look at most transit systems, they're generally star-shaped systems where you have a central depot and you have these routes which are sort of pedals around and coming into the center of the city. Again, those systems work well if you're going into the center of the city. But nowadays, most movement is actually across from the city. So what happens is people have to transfer two or three times if they need to get across for the city and it becomes quite inconvenient. Let me fill in the gap there around like the user experience side. These surveys are conducted. We get information about where people are living and where it is they want to be going. And as long as I'm the typical rush hour commuter, I'm going from my bedroom community to go and work downtown in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I turn around and I want to go back from downtown to my home in some bedroom community. As long as I'm doing that, we're all good. But as soon as I want to be doing something that's against the grain or across the grain, there's not going to be much bus service for me. So for instance, if I want to go from one area outside the core to another area outside the core, even if that's just my next door neighborhood, the chances are I'm probably going to have to go all the way downtown to come all the way back up. We used that kind of information capture and thinking to design fixed route systems before. That was based on the best technology that was available at the time. Like 50 years ago, it wasn't really feasible to collect more granular information than that or to get a finer resolution picture of where it is that people are and where it is that they want to go. How has that changed now? So nowadays, communication is so cheap. I can have access to information about demand, where people are going. Uh, pretty much everyone is walking around with uh, almost a supercomputer in their pocket. With this added communication, this added information, we can help make much better decisions in real time. And we're not saying that every bus has to only run in a dynamic model. In every city, there are portions of fixed routes which are very productive, but there are portions of fixed routes which are unproductive. The way cities were designed before is because you didn't have this option to be able to get this real-time information, a lot of times you would have these unproductive portions of fixed routes combining with productive portions. And so what we're saying right now is because we can access this data in real time, we can help cities make better decisions. And that's really what our technology is doing. So what does a total rethink of the system look like now kind of powered by the new technology that we have available to us that just kind of wasn't around when systems were initially being designed? Every city is going to move at some point to as this hybrid type model where you keep the portion of your fixed routes, which are productive and uh, efficient, but the other more costly, because in public transit, providing coverages can be very costly. So those more coverage type of areas are run in an on-demand model. That's really where we see the future is this sort of blend of a hybrid of fixed routes and on-demand working together. These kinds of hybrid services are really well set up for cities that were initially designed around a central core and bedroom communities and suburbs. Is there a cultural and geographic dimension to this as well? Is this a problem that North America is struggling with more 
because its cities were primarily built during the last century, let's say, as opposed to older European cities or Asian cities that just have a very different culture and history to them in terms of the way that they're designed and the way that they're used. Do you see different patterns across those areas? Yeah, definitely. I think North America has really been pushed on the car. So if you look at all the cities, they all spread out a lot more because people can drive. And we're also fortunate we have a lot of space. You know, I think in Asia and Europe, because of your constraints in space, they sort of have to think about things a bit differently. And there's also more emphasis. I think in North America, the thinking is there are more captive type of folks who use public transit. You only use it if you don't have any other option. Europe and Asia, they've been successful is they've got people to think about transit a lot more and it becomes much more of a choice. You can drive if you want, but why would you when you have such convenient other options to use public transit that is much cheaper and less costly and good for the environment? You know, I think North America, we have a ways to go to get to a place where it's more acceptable to use public transit. A big part of that is how it's been designed because of sort of that car culture, that spending on that car culture, not so much focusing on using in a more communal type of way of people getting around. So it sounds like that's a barrier to getting change underway is you're not just talking about the organizational change of a system. You're talking about a cultural change around mentality towards transit as well. Definitely, definitely, especially in North America. Less so in Canada than in the U.S., but uh, yeah, a lot of people don't use transit because they feel they, they don't have to. Yeah, that's right. And I wonder whether part of what you're proposing is actually a solution to that cultural problem as well. When you feel that the system is more adaptive to your needs, it feels like a higher value service. Personalization always makes the perceived value higher. And so maybe this personalization through a hybrid system where I am hailing a bus, for want of a better phrase, where I'm kind of hailing the bus because I need it and this is where I want to go. The system is made for me rather than kind of being beholden to the system. Maybe that's uh, some small steps in the direction of working, but rolling back that kind of cultural attitude towards transit as well. Talk to me about the user experience of on-demand busing. I have something in my mind of like, I want a taxi and a bus show up. Walk me through what that feels like. There's someone, some similarity. You use an app. You can say, I'm going from this bus stop to another bus stop. As the bus is coming, you're told when the bus is coming. So you can plan ahead. Unlike uh, traditionally, the way bus service works is you have to plan based on the bus service. Now you actually tell when your schedule is, when I need to be at this place by a certain time. I'm going between these two bus stops. And the technology does the planning for you. So it ensures that you're there when you need to get to the place you need to get there for. Similar type of experience to what you might expect in a ride hailing type of environment. But being public transit also, we have to make sure that we don't leave other people behind because public transit has to be very equitable. So it's important to have other means. So whether it's having kiosks that are set up that at certain bus stops where you can hail the bus, whether people can flag the bus down and board the bus ad hocly, whether people can call in. So as long as you can have different means, because yes, a majority of people use smartphones, but not everyone has access to that. And for public transit, it's important to be able to manage that. 
if I understand correctly from the user's perspective, now with a completely non-hybrid approach, I can hop onto Google Maps and say like, I am here, I want to be there by this hour of the day and Google Maps will calculate for me which buses I need to take in order to reach that destination by that time. But one of the fundamental assumptions that's going into that is that the bus routes and the schedules are fixed. Nothing is up for grabs in terms of how the buses are moving. I'm the only variable in play. Sounds like what you're describing is uh, quite a bit more complex than that, that rather than only the riders being the variables, the buses are variables now too. Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, when you look at the way Google Maps and all of these operate, it is assuming that the bus routes are working the way they are. And we're saying is maybe they'll work the way they are, but there's also the opportunity that you know, we can find a more effective way that can help cities save money, run more efficiently, get people better coverage, get to places faster. And those are all considerations need to be taken into consideration when we want to improve the way public transit works. It gives me as a rider a lot more flexibility to identify where it is that I want to be going and minimize those inefficiencies in my rider experience. So for instance, finding ways to help me avoid needing to go all the way into the city center only to come all the way back out to go to the neighboring community. From a, the public transit authority side, what kind of efficiency gains do you see with this kind of approach? So I'll give you an example. So City of Stratford, Ontario, which is one of our partners who we work with, when we started working with them, they had a weekend service and to cover all the stops in the city, they would use six to eight buses. And when you think about for cities, the cost to operate a bus is generally about $100 per hour. That's uh, including labor, it's including maintenance, it's quite expensive. We were able to show that we could cover all of those stops with two to four vehicles. So significantly different. So Stratford in a year, they were saving over $300,000 just on the weekend routes. That's for the agency side, but also for the riders, sometimes you have routes which have an hour headway. So if you miss the bus, you're waiting another hour for that bus. And if you happen to transfer, need to transfer, that could be quite a bit longer just to get to where you need to go, which might be a 20-minute drive. What we've seen is this ability to have these large service areas and these buses moving between bus stops so people don't have to transfer is really cut down that amount of time that they need to spend on the vehicle and get much more direct type of service. Let's stick there for a moment about the drivers, no pun intended, of what gets people actually choosing to take a bus or not. So you mentioned number of transfers is a really strong determinant. I imagine that the length of wait is probably also a strong determinant. But talk us through this. What are the factors that will really influence the decision for someone to either take a bus or not? Time is very important. You have two groups of riders. You have uh, riders who are choice riders who can have the option to take public transit, but they can choose other ways. And then you have captive riders. For both groups of riders, the most important is how long you have to spend on the bus. How much time are you waiting for the bus? How long are you spending to get to your destination? And those are the main parts. And transfers are part of that. So if I have to spend two hours on the bus and I have to transfer one or two times, I'm really only going to take the bus if I have no other options to get more people to use public transit, we have to give them more options so it doesn't feel like it's the last resort that they have to have to use. And that's very important. And sort of, so when we look at that model of having these large service areas so people can get around with no transfers, that's a key driver that we believe. Uh, helps increase people using public transit. It sounds like using technology to dramatically increase the efficiency for cities and to dramatically improve the experience for riders. 
it's a no-brainer, right? Of course, everybody should be doing this. But clearly, some ingredient must be missing there because cities around the world are not already doing this and have not already been doing it for a few years. What are some of the barriers to change? Especially in transit, cities are risk-averse. They do what they know and what they understand. Most people in transit, they have an understanding of when they think of on-demand, they think of in terms of specialized transit or paratransit type service, which is quite expensive. So if you think about uh, conventional transit compared to specialized transit, conventional transit is about one-tenth the cost per ride compared to specialized transit. It's getting people to think outside of what they know and outside of the box. And as you know, Brooke, that's one of the hardest things. It takes time to get there. And uh, cities are moving. They're moving slowly. They're not the fastest movers. Has the pandemic changed any of that? I mean, obviously, so much around transit has just been flipped on its head. The percent of ridership is way down, or the share of ridership is way down on many transit networks. But it's not just about volume. It's also about patterns. We were talking earlier about that classic pattern of the suburbanites commuting into the city center to do their work and then commuting back out in the evening. It's not just in terms of volume that the pandemic has changed the transit network use. It's also that pattern in particular is the most disrupted of all the patterns now with so many people working from home. Is there change that you're seeing within the transit networks around the world that you're working with? And is this creating opportunities that, well, if change is in the air anyway, if the option of just continuing with the status quo isn't viable, well, now we might as well make a good decision to go with something new that shows promise. Pandemic has been tough for transit agencies. I think some of these patterns which you're talking about are probably going to stick around for some time. A lot of people I speak to, they thinking of going back to the office, but now they may not be going back every day. I think this is going to introduce a lot more irregularity in the way people are moving around. And that's where systems that are able to calculate in real time can really be helpful. In some previous work, you've noted that the bigger the city is, Typically, the bigger the bureaucracy is and the bigger the resistance to change, the more averse they are to risk and this kind of thing. But you also mentioned earlier in our discussion today that obviously density is a huge factor in determining the efficiency of transit systems. So I want to imagine two completely polar opposite cities. One is a tiny little city that's run by five people who sit down over a coffee once a week to make decisions. Whatever kind of transit they're trying to run is just going to be horribly inefficient on a fixed route, fixed schedule system. And at the other end, you've got this massive city that occupies a tiny point of space and you've just got millions and millions of people stacked on top of each other. And so working with fixed routes is extremely efficient because you've just got lots of people there. So buses are always running full, but you've also got this massive bureaucracy that's totally choking and will never change. But the reality is, of course, real cities always fall somewhere in the continuum between those two. What are some of the patterns that you've seen or some of the shoulders in that distribution that you've seen of cities with certain dynamics where you say it's actually really good to run more or less just a dynamic system for cities that look like X and it's good to have a hybrid system for cities that look like Y and in cities that look like Z, actually, it's just not even really worth it to go to a hybrid system because of the size and density and this kind of thing. Small cities that have not many main corridors and people are spread out quite a bit. A dynamic system is really the only way that you could run it in somewhat of an efficient manner. Now, it's still a costly providing service in those types of areas, but a dynamic system can be very helpful. As you start moving to cities which are, I'd say, around 50,000 
plus where you do have sort of a center of town and you have some main corridors and main areas where people are going to. Yeah, in our view, that's where you need to have a hybrid system. It makes sense to have dynamic at times of the day where you're not around the peak of where people are moving. It makes sense to have keep some of the efficiencies and the efficient fixed routes based on the patterns of where people are going. You know, large cities have density and lots of people going around and the, it makes sense to have fixed routes. They're the best and most efficient way to move people. But where on-demand can help a lot is in those cities that we talked about before, they were designed for commuters. But if you happen to be traveling against those commuter routes, it can be quite cumbersome to get around. And that's where on-demand can be very helpful as sort of this cross-grain type of travel. And also then at times of day where demand is really irregular. In other areas, when you have new, all cities, even though they're really big, have certain areas where it's less dense and uh, makes sense to provide coverage in a more dynamic type of model. Definitely, it's not one size fits all. It's being able to look at the city, look at the patents, look at ridership, look at the size. Right, that's really interesting. So I had been thinking about it just in terms of a kind of city profile, saying like, okay, well, if a city looks like this, then you'd want a hybrid system or more a richer mix of fixed schedules and fixed routes. But the temporal aspect is one that I hadn't been thinking about. Even a big city that's very dense and has very consistent patterns doesn't have them equally at all times of day. At the rush hour is when it's going to be at its most intense. But even a city that relies very, very strongly on fixed routes and schedules during a rush hour outside of those periods might be really advantaged to have a more dynamic system. No, exactly. Because most cities, when they do their planning, they plan for peak times because you have to be able to address that peak time as well as the system doesn't work. As you're saying, at different times of the day with those changes, it can be a completely different system that you have to use. It's interesting. It makes me think of how we plan electricity grids as well. Really, we plan so much of our infrastructure around peak load or if we're taking on a bit more risk, then we plan for something just below peak load and we just cross our fingers that when peak load happens, it's not going to really cause a crisis. Yeah, no, exactly. It's the same for transit. One of the things you mentioned is that identifying opportunities for migrating to a hybrid system really starts with good information. For cities that are interested in thinking about this, where can they start looking at information that can help them to make informed decisions about where to start, how to start, this kind of thing? The challenge sometimes with our existing transit system systems is the information you have is quite limited. So if we think about uh, cities, you might have counters of how many people are taking the buses on certain bus routes. And they have these automatic passenger counters, which are on the bus, which tell you when someone gets on and gets off. And that gives you a ridership for a route. But it's rare that you have the true origin and destination pairs of where people are actually going. So an example of that is you might have a bus route that is very busy. But the reason that bus route is really busy is because it's the only Walmart in the city is on that bus route and a lot of people go to Walmart. So everyone is transferring to that bus route to get to Walmart. But who's to say if you gave people options to get to that bus route from other ways, if they would be different paths that they would take. The challenge is always getting that data, that origin destination pairs, which can help you with that informed decision. So for us, when we try to work with a city, one of the things we try to do is work at times of day where demand is quite irregular or less, so we can cover the whole city, so we can see where that demand pattern is. But that then allows us to really capture true origin destination pairs, so we can help cities map out where it might make sense to have 
fixed routes and not. But, uh, you know, in very large cities, you're not going to get that opportunity. And so I think it's more of an iterative approach is these areas that's less busy. Let's start in this area and see what we learn and apply that and go from there. Is there a danger in starting with those kinds of off-peak times and kind of off-peak areas or less dense areas within the city that you're learning a lesson that then doesn't apply to main event, so to speak, of like you learn about all these patterns that are not representative of the busier times and in the busier spaces? Definitely. I mean, uh, but usually what you're learning is to try and understand what the possibilities are. We don't normally just say, okay, let's see off-peak patterns and then we apply those new routes to the peak times. I think the key is helping the cities understand the value of the data and what they can learn from that. So in some cities where we're able to run the entire day of during peak times and off-peak times for the whole city, we've able to get very informed data. But the way we approach this problem sometimes is because as, you know, going back to cities' risk-averseness, us being able to show this in the off-peak times where we can show this entire area and say, okay, this is what you can learn. might make sense for you to develop fixed routes over here and the rest runs on demand. So for someone working within a transit authority who's listening to this today and saying, oh my gosh, this is the solution that I've been trying to move forward in my organization for a decade and it's just not getting on track. What is a good step that they can take to start getting those conversations going about a more data-informed approach and moving towards more hybrid approaches to transit? If you were to ask me this two years ago, the answer would be quite different. I think now there's a lot more information. Also, on-demand is a word that can be used quite loosely. There's lots of different on-demand models. You know, there are ones which are just first and last mile. There are ones which are sort of looking at the entire city. There are lots of different models of how they're looking at it. And I would say just spending some time looking at the outcomes. Usually the best times to look at these type of opportunities are when you have the low density, so off-peak times, weekends, evenings are are good times to try and test out these services because usually that's the most unproductive time for cities and where it's quite costly to provide service. So in those areas, this is not something completely new that's not been done before. It's been done a number of times now. And what about for citizens, for transit riders? If they're listening to this saying like, oh my gosh, I just need something like this so badly for my city. My city is choked in traffic because everybody sits in a car by themselves rather than getting on a bus. And the reason they're not getting on buses is because they're just not going to the right places at the right times. What's an effective way to start to mobilize a little bit of energy to get change underway? I think reaching out to your transit authority, reaching out to your councillors. At the end of the day, public transit has a political aspect to it. We have the ability to do it. We just need to reach out and get people to start looking at different models and you know, not just accepting that what we have is working great. You know, There's a reason why I think people don't use public transit as much as they could. Getting buses electric, I think, are really good initiatives. We have to understand why people are not using bus service or public transit. And if we can address that and we can make it more convenient and more people want to use it, then I think we can put policies around public transit. But without that, it's difficult to force people to do things when you you don't give them a better alternative. All right. Well, Remy, thank you very much for this conversation. It's been great. Thank you very much, Brooke, for giving me the opportunity and having me on your show. Absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about Applied Behavioral Insights, you can find plenty of materials on our website, thedecisionlab.com. There, you'll also be able to find our newsletter, which features the latest and greatest developments in the field, including these podcasts, as well as great public content about biases, interventions, and our project work.